we are moving into Joshua. So we're going to continue our 52 Greatest Stories um, series this morning. And, and last week, just to kind of catch you up to speed, we left off with the Israelites as God was announcing the consequences of their sin of unbelief. Their unbelief that God was really going to fulfill his promise of giving them the land. And so their consequence of their unbelief is that they themselves would never receive it. They would wander in the desert, the unbelieving generation, until they all died, except for two. And that was Caleb and Joshua. They were the two spies that had believed that Yahweh, and that's just God's name in Hebrew, that Yahweh could and would provide them with their land because they had allowed what they believed to shape what they could see. And so in that, they were going to be able to see the fulfillment. They were going to enter into the promised land, but they were going to have to wait 40 years before it would happen. 40 years. Now, that's how long it's going to take for the generation to die off. Could you imagine over a 40-year time span of attending over a million funerals? That would be just downright discouraging, wouldn't it? But that's what it was like for Caleb and Joshua. They would have been discouraged, yet all the while knowing that each death was bringing them one death closer to the fulfillment of God's promise. Caleb and Joshua would have remembered the richness of the land that they had seen. They would have remembered the produce that it produced. They would have remembered the livestock that it was capable of raising. They would have remembered that it was a land that flowed with milk and honey. Caleb last week was more central in our passages that we covered. And he's going to fade here today. We're not even going to really talk about him any further in the scriptures. I guess he should have written his own book. No, I'm just kidding. Of course, we know that the Holy Spirit is the one who impressed upon the writer's hearts to write. He was the one who inspired the authors. But most scholars do believe that Joshua is the one who authored the, the book, or at least the main part of the book that's titled after him, Joshua. Joshua was Moses' servant, his mentee, if you will. And Scripture tells us, that as soon as Moses left God's presence, not died, but when he'd go up to see God and, and he'd come back, Joshua was right by him as soon as Moses got back because he was an eager student to practice the presence of God. And so God chose Joshua to become the leader after Moses died. And now those, I would say, were going to be some awfully big sandals to fill. Can you imagine stepping into the shoes of Moses? Well, if you have your Bibles this morning and you want to turn with me to Joshua chapter 1, welcome you to do that. Otherwise, the scriptures will be up on the screen as well. To start us off this morning, I'm going to read through the nine verses, and then we're going to spend the rest of our time together taking a few of those key verses out and looking at them more closely. And then we're going to see how does this apply to our lives as we go along. 
So before I read the word, let's just take a moment and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word. Lord, where we can see where there have been, uh, well, champions of the faith. Lord, who have walked through incredibly difficult times. And Lord, we can be encouraged by it. We can be strengthened by it. And you can show us how to apply it through to our lives through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, that's what we would ask this morning. Lord, help us to apply it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Joshua chapter 1, starting with verse 1. It reads, After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I'm giving them. I promise you that what I promised Moses, wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to give their ancestor, or I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Be strong and courageous. God told that to Joshua three times in these nine verses. The responsibility of leading the Israelites into the promised land was going to be no easy feat. They are now a nation of two to three million people, scholars project. So let me put that into perspective. That is more than the number of people that live in outstate Minnesota. Could you imagine leading all of outstate Minnesota across a river? <laughs> it would be like, what do they say, herding cats? Um, I, it wouldn't be necessarily a job I'd want, but um, that's what Joshua was called to do. And not only was he supposed to help these millions of people across the river leading them, the river was also at flood stage. And let's not forget that uh, crossing the river is just part of the fulfillment. They still have to defeat the really big and strong people that we learned about last week living there in those fortified cities. God knew that Joshua would need fresh encouragement to be strong and courageous. And I say fresh because this is not the first time that Joshua has heard these words. God also spoke them through his servant Moses for Joshua, recorded for us in Deuteronomy 31.7. It says, Then Moses called for Joshua, and as the Israelites watched, he said to him, Be strong and courageous, for you will lead these people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors he would give them, you are the one who will divide it among them as their grants of land. Leading the Israelites across the river was not going to be an easy task. You're going to need courage and strength, Joshua. 
God knew that it would be easy under the weight of that kind of responsibility for discouragement and weakness to settle in. And so God didn't just give Joshua this threefold command to be strong and courageous. He also told Joshua where he could gain this strength and courage. It would come from the power of God through three ways. Through his promise, through obeying his word, and through his presence. So look back with me to chapter or to verse 3. God said, I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you. And verse 6 says, be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. So along with passing the leadership position on, God also passed along the promise. God had already given the land. Joshua received courage and strength because of the power of God's promise. How many has experienced God's faithfulness? God is a God that keeps his promises. He is a faithful God. That is part of his character. Joshua could hold on to God's promise because he knew that it was true. Moses wrote about God's promise keeping in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. He said, understand therefore that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant, another word for promise, keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. Now it's true that God keeping his promises might not look like we think, I can imagine at one point the Israelites thought that taking and possessing the land would be a sure and easy thing. After all, God promised it. And perhaps it would have been if they would have been obedient. Obedience is required. But obedience doesn't always mean that it's going to be easy. Because God knows that it's not always best for us if it's easy. In fact, Easy is rarely good for us if we're just honest. And God just doesn't have that entitlement mentality. He has the expectation that we will have an active role in him fulfilling his promises, in us receiving them. For God knows if we have no responsibility, we will surely take those promises for granted. For our benefit, he gives us personal responsibility. And so God offered power for strength and courage through his promises. Joshua needed to trust God for the promise. He also needed to obey. Verses 7 and 8 read, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instructions continually. Other translations say, this, the, or this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Strength and courage can be found through obeying God's word. Did you notice that there's a stronger exhortation in this one? Be strong and very courageous. 
it's been noted that perhaps this indicates it's actually going to take greater strength of character for Joshua to obey God's word faithfully and fully than it was going to take for him to lead the nation in the military maneuvers and battles that they would have to face. Why would they say that? Well, we're going to discover that a little bit here. You see, Joshua would be obeying words of God that Moses had written down and given to him. So it would have been in the five, first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. For us, it's all of God's word. To enjoy prosperity and to be successful in leading the people in conquering Canaan, Joshua was to do three things in, gar- in regards to obeying the scriptures. God lays this out for him. He also lays it out for us. The first was that the word of God was supposed to be on his lips. Always. Always. See, Joshua was given the responsibility of sharing the word of God with others, with his people. He was to read it to them to also encourage them to tell their children about it. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7 says this, And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you go to bed and when you're getting up. Think about that. Okay, so on the home, at home, on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up, basically sharing God's word all of the time. That's what not only was Joshua supposed to be doing, but what we're supposed to be doing. Could you imagine if we actually were to apply that? All Christians were actually would apply this principle, this instruction. At this time where we are the probably the most biblically illiterate generation in the United States, it would be of great value if we would do this, if we would heed these instructions all the more. It's not that people can't read for themselves. The written word of God, of course, is more readily available today than probably ever before because not only do we have it written actually on paper, we also have it via electronics. But it's interesting that most won't even read it, including in the church. Now, I know I've said it before that this is part of the reason behind this series is to have a course charted out for you through the word of God for the whole year to encourage you to pick it up and to read it. And that way we could have the word of God flow from our mouth. It's not going to be that we're going to necessarily quote the entire scripture word for word. It's not that we're going to necessarily give the scripture reference but it, that it would just be part of our speech. It would be rooted in what it is that we have to say. The biblical principles would be there. Of course, we're going to share those specifics as warranted for encouraging and strengthening in the faith. And not only does it encourage the hearer, it also encourages the one that has the word on their mouth. So we want to always have the word of God on our lips. The second instruction was that the word of God is to be meditated on. To be thinking about the word of God. To ponder it. To let the truth sink into our minds and into our hearts. Just as Psalm 119.97 says, Oh, how I love your instructions. 
I think about them all day long. It's that pondering the word of God in our minds to hold every thought captive to Christ Jesus, who is the word. So we're to talk about the word, we're to meditate on the word, and thirdly, the word is to be lived out. James chapter 1 verse 22 says this, Don't fool yourselves into thinking that you are a listener when you are anything but. Letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. That's that letting our lives be a reflection of, of the word of God. To trust that it's true and to obey everything that is written in it gives strength and encouragement no matter what the situation might be. Strength and encouragement is found in obeying the word of God. The last part of God's charge to Joshua is given in verse 9. It says, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Strength and courage is found in the power of God through his presence. God was not passing on the promise without passing on the presence. God would be with Joshua just as he was with Moses. See, during the Israelites as they traveled through the desert, God provided them with a number of things that symbolized his presence. Gave them that pillar of cloud during the day, the pillar of fire at night. He also had them construct the Ark of the Covenant, the wooden chest that was covered with gold that contained the Ten Commandments that were chiseled on the stone by the very hand of God, also contained the jar of manna to remind them of what God had provided for them, had Aaron's staff, and may have had other things, but those are the things that came to mind this week. And the Ark of the Covenant was the symbolic presence of God. And that's when it, why the Israelites, when they were getting ready to cross the Jordan, God had said, have the ark go before the people. It was his sign of his presence going before them. It was a symbol to remind them that God was with them, that he was there to guide them, that he was there to encourage and strengthen them. Joshua was now the leader. The task was huge. It was not simply leading a million-plus people across the Jordan River at flood stage, It was also included relying on a harlot for help behind the enemy lines. Now, it wasn't Joshua that reached out to the harlot personally. But if anything goes wrong, it falls on the leader. So in that, the task was huge. And the task also included Joshua leading approximately 600,000 well-trained warriors through some rather unusual and unconventional military maneuvers. Now, if you read the scriptures for this week, you know where I'm going. But think about it. God told Joshua this. He said, take your fighting men, have them walk around Jericho's fortified city just one time today. And then do that again for the next five days. Don't shoot arrows at them. Don't talk, just walk. And then on the seventh day, go around the city seven times and then have the priests blow the horn and the people shout really loud and the walls fall down. 
Now try being the leader and selling that one to your army of well-trained men. See, this is where it was going to take Joshua to have greater character and obedience to God's word than it was for him to actually lead his men in military battle. He had to do what God had asked him to do. He had to obey. But God was going to be with him in this. It was going to take far greater strength and courage than Joshua had on his own. God knew this, and this is why he commanded Joshua, be strong and courageous three times. Do not be afraid or discouraged. But having strength and courage did not solely rest on Joshua's power. Sure, Joshua had to have faith to believe God's promise. Joshua had to have discipline and have faith to obey God's word at all cost. Joshua had to believe in the power of God's presence, but the strength and the courage was in God's power, and it still is. Paul understood this as the Lord Jesus told him these words, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. The apostle Paul understood the weaker I get, the stronger I become. The Lord working through our weaknesses brings him glory. Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10 says, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my righteous right hand. I cannot tell you how many times I rely on God's power. In fact, basically every moment. And I am leading a group of people much fewer than Joshua did. But you guys don't complain nearly as much. <laughs> and as a leader, I need strength and encouragement through God's power every day. But God's power through his promise, through obeying his word, through his presence is not just for leaders. Have you ever been in a situation where you desperately needed strength and courage because you knew what you had was inadequate. It wasn't going to be enough to bring you through. Have you ever had a task that was far beyond your ability to accomplish? A situation that was going to require more strength than you possessed? A season that was going to take more courage than you could muster on your own? Have you ever been in a situation like that? Is this where you are today? If it is, let me offer you some encouragement. If it's not you, I'm going to offer encouragement because at some point you will be there. I say that to encourage you. As followers of Jesus, we don't have the Ark of the Covenant to symbolize God's power through his presence. We don't have a something, an object. We have a someone. We have a person. The third person of the Trinity, of the Godhead, we have the Holy Spirit as followers of Jesus that will encourage us and strengthen us. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 19, he said, If you love me, 
obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. See, when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, he sends the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. Now, the English meaning of advocate or, or counselor is translated in a, a number of ways. It could be he helper, it could be standby, it could be comforter. But the one that I want to single out is that it is also translated as encourager. The Holy Spirit is our encourager. He leads us by leading us into all truth and is always with us. The Holy Spirit it, it never discourages us. He may convict us. He may rebuke us. He may correct us, but he never discourages us. It's been said the ultimate input from the Holy Spirit is always positive, never negative. He desires to build us up in our faith, not destroy our faith. He's there to encourage us. To not and not to discourage us. So if you are in a situation right now, it's a season for you and you are sensing that in your weakness that you are a failure or you're hearing that you don't have what it takes to complete the task that God has called you to do, you can be assured that that's not the Holy Spirit. That would be the devil. The devil's the one who comes with the lies. He wants to discourage and destroy your faith. The Holy Spirit comes with truth and encouragement. You know, as Joshua stood on the bank of the Jordan, knowing that God had said that the river would not stop flowing until they stepped into the water, one might wonder what went through his mind. Did he wish for Moses to be there? <laughs> Probably. Did he feel weak and inadequate? Most assuredly. Did he wonder in fear, how can I do this? Should I resign? Can I lead these people? You see, his situations and his circumstances were real. But God had given him what he needed. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Joshua found strength and courage in the power of God through his presence, through obeying his word, and through his promise. And we can do the same with the help of the Holy Spirit, our encourager, our strengthener. We might not have, or we may have to take that, that step of faith first, just like the Israelites had to when they stepped into the Jordan River before God held back those waters. And in just a moment, I'm going to close in, in prayer, utilizing part of the prayer that's, that's in our companion book. And I invite you, um, at that time, I'll have you stand. And, and I just want you to close your eyes, and I want you to make that prayer yours as well. Because if you're in a situation or a season where you realize that you're needing God's power working in your life in an extra special way, his power is found in the promise and through obeying his word and through his presence. And so as I pray, I encourage you to just take a little step of faith forward. That's why I want you to be standing if you're able to, to just take a little step forward as I pray. It's kind of an act of acknowledgement to God. 
I have the faith to believe that you're going to bring me through this, that whatever promise God has put on your heart, you can take that little step of faith. I also want to invite you to come and have prayer with the prayer team as well as um, we want to take time for that. I know we'll be busy setting up for the the potluck as well, but if you are here and you have a prayer need, I want to make sure that we give you opportunity for that before we transition. And so if you are needing God's encouragement this morning, whatever your situation may be, don't lose out. Make sure you come and have the prayer team pray with you. So will you stand with me as I close in prayer? Lord, we thank you that you have created us in your image and have given us the dignity of being able to be capable of making choices that genuinely affect our journey and our destiny. By your grace, we want to exercise this capacity by taking the steps of faith, especially in times when our flesh resists this process and when our fears prevent us from trusting you. We realize that there's going to be times in our lives when you ask us to take that first step because you don't want to force us into obedience, but desire our willing cooperation with your glorious intentions. We recognize that without you, we cannot, but without us, you will not. May we strengthen our resolve to be your loving servant and child so that we will pursue the course you have set before us in spite of our fears and natural resistance. Encourage us and strengthen us as you fill us with your power, as we trust in your promises, as we obey your word, and as we experience your presence. And we, may we find strength and courage to honor you by treasuring your will for our lives, that we would spiritually run with endurance and fight the good fight in your strength and encouragement for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.